So during the opening up, starting to have sex with other people phase, for the very first week, we talked about, hey, let's make this just an open relationship. We're still going to be emotionally committed to each other. And then within three or four days of that conversation, my ex came back to me. She's like, you know what? Actually, that seems like a really arbitrary restriction. Like, let's just always make sure that we're making time for each other and caring for each other. But let's not try to restrict feelings happening around other people. It, it just is bound to happen. You're listening to This Polyamorous Life, collecting stories of the struggles and triumphs of non-monogamous people wherever I find them. I'm Reg, and this week, I'm playing you a talk I had with David. David's nesting partner, Charity, is an old friend of mine, and she was one of the first guests on This Polyamorous Life. I first got to meet David when I was on vacation in Dublin, and he and Charity flew over from Germany. I didn't know him well, and I was happy to get to know him better. Uh, so this was a fun interview, and I learned more about David, like uh, he has an opinion on the word polysaturated. Uh, spoilers, he doesn't like it. We talked over Skype last August. I hope you enjoy. My name is David Briggs, and I practice ethical non-monogamy. Um, I used to have lots of different labels for it. I had a long time where I was trying to call it um, a radical and egalitarian non-monogamy. So basically the focus there would be on full autonomy for both partners and full equality. Mm -hmm. uh, for a while, I also was focused on calling it non-hierarchical. But after a lot of reflection, I, I think what I'm currently calling it is inclusive natural hierarchy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, explain. What does that mean? So in, I, I think I know what those words mean, but what does it mean for you? So the inclusive part is important. Um, what that means is any relationship I in, enter into has the possibility to grow into anything. Like there's no preconceived notion of what a relationship is going to is going to be. Mm -hmm. So. To me, that, that also covers like kind of the, the core part of myself who is really attracted to a non-hierarchical polyamory, where both partners are always choosing and assessing what they want out of their relationships, and they can redefine it and renegotiate it at any time uh, on equal terms. So I still pretty strongly believe in that, that each person has a right to be in a relationship or not be in a relationship. And that it's really up to the parties in the relationship to constantly be negotiating, renegotiating, and making sure that they're happy. So within that, I also try to offer the same to anybody new that I meet. I say that in theory, we could have children together, spend the rest of our life um, exploring whatever our relationship is going to be. It doesn't have to fit into pre any preconceived boxes. But there's an asterisk on that, which says I already have some pre-existing relationships. <laughs> hey, look, it's a pre-existing relationship. Uh, yep, a pre-existing relationship that... So yes, I have pre-existing relationships that are important <laughs> to me. And if you want to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with me, most likely you're going to be running into these people at some point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that, is that the natural hierarchy part? You might have said yep. that already. Yeah, basically okay. saying there are important people to me. And sometimes these people might actually be taking time away from the time that we had scheduled. I think a great example was I was on a date about a month or two ago, and I got a call from my partner saying that she was, that she'd fallen off her bike and was looking for somebody to take her to the ER. So naturally, I would cancel the date with this new person I was beyond to go take my other partner to the emergency room. So that's where kind of the, the natural hierarchy came into play. I had an existing relationship that was important to me that in that particular case, I went, even though it was taking away time from somebody else who I was also telling was imp important to me, if that makes sense. I might not have articulated that as well as I could have. <laughs> I think that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly in that moment, the, the, the uh, demand for your attention changed, essentially, I think, right? Like, yeah. wh where it was necessary for you to have your attention, you know, dramatically would have altered, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And I think at that point, 
I really like there was there would have been no way for me to continue to have a good date. It was basically somebody I cared about was in distress and I have a very nurturing and caring and caretaker side that needed to go and take care of this person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good stuff. (laughs) When did you like when did you realize that non-monogamy was something that you wanted to do? Um, on the relationship side, I had a clear picture of, of what non-monogamy was and could be starting about, I'd see, say 12 years ago when I met my ex-wife. Um, together, we started to explore the kink and BDSM scene. And uh-huh. through that, we got to meet quite a few different people in many different styles of relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I also began to understand what it could mean to have other experiences with other people. So... The specific terms of our, the arrangement that I had with my ex at the time, she was in academics, so maybe this is something that you can relate to. She was very, very worried about being outed as kinky. So what happened was she said, hey, here's a list of all of the fetishes and kinks that I've always wanted to explore but have never had a chance to. If you're interested in any of these, what, what do you think we could explore at home? I'm like, wow, I've never really actually thought about this, but... I'm happy to try any of these things. Let me go get some experience first. So I actually had permission to go to kink workshops, play parties, um, social events, and got to interact and and build some connections with a kink community where the only rule was I wasn't allowed to have penetrative sex. So basically I had very intense relationships that were forming based around kink play, but no sexual intercourse. I don't Mm -hmm. even... When it comes to kink, it becomes really hard to describe what I mean by sex. So basically, my penis stayed in my pants. My hands stayed away from people's genitals. That was not sexual. Everything else was allowed. Mm -hmm. And I guess even so, even within kink, my hands staying away from people's genitals, that's actually not always true because sometimes if you're tying in a certain area or if you're striking a certain area. Yeah. But I mean, it's non-sexual or unless (laughs) how do you decide? I don't know. You, you, You pick and choose how you want to define sex. So anyway, I wasn't having sex, but I had many, many partners that I was having intense experiences with. Mm -hmm. So we actually continued that arrangement for almost eight years um, before we decided it's also this was after moving to a new city that um, my partner was comfortable enough getting her toes wet. She realized at some of these parties, hey, this can be a lot of fun. Maybe I want to actually start having my own play relationships with other people. Oh, after I've been beaten, I actually really want to have sex. So can, maybe we can revisit this whole sex thing. So it really just kind of evolved over time to the point where it was completely open. So you said you moved cities. Uh, I, I don't know if it's important, but like, where did the where did this begin? And then sure, where are yeah, you I, now? So I'm originally from um, the U.S. I grew up in a small town in Montana, which is north and west. Actually, I, I grew up about 30 kilometers from the Canadian border, so pretty much the middle of nowhere. And then okay. when I met my ex, I had moved to the closest big city, which was Seattle, Washington. Um, okay. I think about a thousand kilometers away or so. I'd have to look at a map to measure it out, but it was <laughs> not close. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so moved to Seattle and that's where I, I met my ex and first got involved in the scene. Um, okay. Then through a series of moves, we wound up in Berlin, Germany, which is a very, very kink friendly city. And also, it was far enough away from my ex's uh, place of going to university and all of her family that she finally felt comfortable about going out into the scene, wasn't so worried about being recognized by uh, people that knew her. So, uh, so she felt more, uh, more comfortable going out, and so she did. So, so you ended up in Berlin, and you're in the play scenes, and so, you're, so you... you kind of had a, a natural transitioning to an open relationship. So it it sounds like, so it was the sort of thing where your partner, uh, your wife, uh, your ex-wife now, um, yeah. she was, was getting beat <laughs> the, um, at, at the parties or something and really wanted to have, was it at the parties or with, uh, like how, how did that happen? What's going on? Can you give me um, more so, details? All right. If, so I mean, the, if you if the, you can. Yeah. No, sure. I, I remember it well. Um, the very first time that that our relationship opened sexually, which anybody that's in the kinky community at this point just laughs at me because, again, sex is a really fluid concept when you're having really intense um, physical connections with people. So mm-hmm. 
the the her her like the kind of the official opening of our relationship happened after she met somebody at a kinky networking event a munch um mm-hmm. they really had a, a strong bond they went played together at a party where she got a, a really thorough beating and she decided that she wanted to have sex with this individual so basically after this party she said hey i would like to hang out with this person again early next week and can, and i think that i'd really like to have a sexual relationship at this point in time so mm-hmm. it was yep yeah, it was really just pretty cut and dried at this point, you hadn't been having sexual relationships with people. It, it sounds kind of like she realized that she wanted to and so said that, hey, I want, like, she's the one who brought it up. Did you want to have sexual relationships with other people? And, like, could, oh, is yeah. it okay so, that... I, so we'd actually, we discussed the, the, the possibility of non-monogamy on our probably third date. Um, I'd never had experienced it, it, had experienced it with any prior partners, but I mm-hmm. told her on our third date, I've been doing a lot of self-reflection about my previous relationships and I've noticed a pattern. Like I'm really, really good at dating people from anywhere from six months to two years, but always, always, always it hits a point where sex becomes kind of the deal breaker where I really just crave a new sexual connection or where I feel like our sex life is stagnated and it just we can we can keep a relationship going longer than that but i feel really unfulfilled at that point so from doing a little bit of reading and spending way too much time on reddit i told her i think i need this thing that these kids are calling a non-monogamous relationship (laughs) okay and um and what was her response at that point uh she she actually was very receptive to the idea Uh, she's a scientist so she said Ah. empirically i have a hard time imagining how a sexually monogamous relationship could keep two people satisfied for a lifetime so from a theoretical standpoint this seems (laughs) to be a completely logical thing to try i'm not ready for that immediately but if you give me time it's something i'm certainly willing to experiment with okay cool and so then the the like getting into the BDSM thing happened. You ended up in Berlin um, mm-hmm. and she, um, she realized that she was ready for it. So, so you had, so you had sort of breached the topic of non-monogamy almost at the yep. beginning. And yep. it was like, this is the thing I want to try eventually. And so it got to a point where she was like, okay, now, now I'm ready. Yep, exactly. Okay. And I think that the way that we'd kind of paid to the roadmap towards that was, me being this sort of kink ambassador. Like I, I really, when I, I, when I meet kinky people, a lot of them share stories of how they first got into kink. They say, I knew, always knew I was kinky from a, saint, from a young age, or I had this one experience and for the rest of my life, this has been a highly like erotically charged thing that I fixate on. For me, it was never something that had even really crossed my radar. I mean, mm-hmm. from watching porn and spending a lot of time on the internet, I thought I knew all about the kinks. I could name at least four of them. So I thought I had all of the, co- the categories <laughs> covered. Um, yep. So, yeah. All so four of them. Yep, exactly. I've got all, I know about all four of the, the kinks, like leather, latex, like if, yeah, I've got it covered. Um, yeah, that's really the attitude that I had when I met her. <laughs> And so when she just said, hey, I, I have like a lot of kinky fantasies, I'm just like, all right, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm happy to go figure this out. And we can, I'm sure we can come up with some sort of arrangement. So really, I, I, I just was going to these events with kind of a, a, a really open mindset of I want to explore. I want to see what's out there. And anything that interests me, I'll take home to my partner. And also my partner will send me shopping with like a shopping list of here's some kinks that I want to explore, you need to go learn how to do this safely and then come home and let's try it out. <laughs> okay. So that, that kind of, that laid a lot of the foundation for opening the relationship at a later period of time. Like we mm-hmm. were good about, we kind of built up a, a way of communicating. Like I would talk, tell her exactly about the experiences that I had, the people that I would play with, like all of my thoughts and feelings. So we, we had always developed a really clear and open way of communicating which once it came to the point of having sex with other people, it didn't even feel like so huge of, a, of an issue. We both met people that we were interested in almost at the same time, but I always had kind of a you go first and at your speed approach. So mm-hmm. I told her, like, I'm happy to, to abstain from any sort of 
sexual play where again kinky people every time i say sex if you're kinky just start laughing because it really just means me not getting my dick out um mm-hmm. so yeah i was still allowed to go to kink parties to play with people but i wasn't having penetrative sex i let her go first with that and then within a couple of weeks of her doing this she's like wow this is so much fun there's no reason for you not to be having the fun too go for it so it was it was something that we'd, we'd spent like years and years and years talking about and then the actual transition process happened over the span of a couple of weeks so what happened from then on was actually almost the exact opposite of what i'd always imagined happening uh, my partner is or was a very like very cautious person seems like very slow to warm up to people so i assumed she would find one dominant person that she had a long-lasting relationship with and that i would kind of play the field like the way i jokingly talk about it is i was really looking for a domly guy to drop her off with so i could head towards the swinger clubs and start figuring out what i'm into since i'd always assumed that the kinky stuff was more for her benefit and not for mine mm-hmm. and then yeah, almost the exact opposite happened. Uh, I met somebody almost right away that, with that I had just an instant, very close connection with. Um, this person was very kinky as well. And as I started to explore with this new partner and start going to more parties, I realized, hey, maybe I, some of these other things that I learned just as a gift for somebody else, I actually kind of like it on my own terms as well. So I, I formed a really close I jokingly call it my close monogamous connection because I was really only having sex with this person in my life. So I was monogamous again. And my, my ex-wife was, um, was really kind of playing the field, having new dates every week and dating several people at the same time. Your wife was seeing a lot of, a lot of people, but not forming the, 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 like, like, would she have, like, would those have been described as relationships or like, I, can you... Yes, so there, there was one person that she was refer- referring to as a boyfriend for a while. So, um, okay. yeah, I guess I, I skipped a little bit. So during the opening up, starting to have sex with other people phase, I think we for the very first week we talked about, hey, let's like make sure that let's make this just an open relationship. We're still going to be emotionally committed to each other. And then within literally like within three or four days of that conversation, my ex came back to me and she's like, you know what, actually, like, that seems like a really arbitrary restriction. Like, let's just always make sure that we're making time for each other and caring for each other. But let's like, not try to restrict feelings happening around other people because it, it just is bound to happen. Okay. So, okay. Yep. So yeah, the, the switch from open, this is just about sex to Oh, this can be more about than that. Also just was a really, really fast and natural connection that happened. So I'd say we were both at this point on the more polyamorous side than just the swinger open relationship side because we were actively looking for a close and deep connection mm-hmm. yeah okay. and just the way that we were exploring it and expressing it looked pretty much polar opposite of what i had originally expected <laughs> yeah yeah so you end up with um basically one other partner uh, um yeah is that the one one other partner and then like occasionally having sex with other people because that's what monogamy means to me is you mostly are only with one person. <laughs> okay, so so you had this. <laughs> okay, so you have so um, kind of like the the Dan Savage monogamish yeah yeah thing going so, on. Yeah, I, I had I had my my ex wife and then I had my new partner and that was enough for me except for every once in a while. So, so I, what would the word for that be? Because it wouldn't be monogamy because you've got two. So that would make it more like um, bi, uh, bigamy? No, no, bigamy. It's bigamy. It's bigamy. I'm, I am striking this from the record. There will be editing. I am an idiot. No, I, it's amazing. I, I love that we Duo, we uh, duo-gamy. <laughs> yeah, no, it, so it, was, it wasn't really intentional. So some literature will use a word that I really hate and say that I'd reached my polysaturation point. I really, really hate describing it that way. Oh, why do you hate that? Um, so partially as an academic, I hate reusing words that already are being used in another scientific context. So basically polysaturation <laughs> is a concept that is used, already used in food science. And I don't personally find a sexy or emotionally interesting connection between food science and 
um, human sciences. <laughs> I love. Okay, F- fair enough. I mean, I I think the idea is that it's supposed to be like it's kind of supposed to be a metaphor, right? Like like the way that because we use the you, the word polycule, right? Yeah, I hate that one too. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yep. Um, <laughs> but so maybe this this is a this this is just a look inside of me. I, I guess I I prefer the more like I'm a. I prefer something that sounds, I don't know, more, less pop science, more like academic research thesis-y. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, yeah, and I, like I noticed that when describing, you know, when I say what sort of non-monogamy, you didn't just say polyamory, right? You you were more, like you, you avoided using the word and were more descriptive. Um, it, it, was there a reason for that or just? Yes. So... Mostly, um, when I've been talking about polyamory, I've been talking to people with no experience with any form of non-monogamy. So mm-hmm. I'm, and also I live in a place where English is not the the, the mother language of most people I'm speaking to. So mm-hmm. I usually try to find like a slightly more simplified or more expository way of describing concepts. I see. Okay. Yeah, because uh, it's uh, yeah, because because polyamory. I mean, it's. <laughs> do you do you know the the origins of the word? I I don't mean I like, like the I'm... Greek and Latin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm I'm sure I've come across it at some point in time, but it's not a piece of information that stuck with me. I'd love to hear the story again. So well, yeah. So so it started out. Um, well, so there's the the book, um, a stranger in a strange land. By, oh, yeah, um, by Heinlein. Heinlein. Yeah, 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 it's great. I, I did a book report um, on that in, in high school. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, directly inspired um, the Church of All Worlds, mm. a yeah. neo-pagan church slash cult slash whatever. Mm-hmm. I hesitate to use the word cult because I know people who are in it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and 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 also when it's when it's done tongue in cheek like it was you know when it when it was done uh, you know I mean kind of like in a stranger in a strange land the you know where the people who were running the church were basically like let's see what we can get away with yeah it seemed a little bit <laughs> I mean this is this is my interpretation and I haven't. Yeah. Like, like I wasn't there, and I haven't done much reading on the lit- of the literature of all this, but that seems to be kind of um, a feeling that I've gotten from talking to, um, yeah, I, I've, I mean, listen to the podcast. I've interviewed a person who was in the Church <laughs> of All Worlds. It was pretty, yeah. uh, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, the, um, so there's the, the two founders, um, Oberon Zell and Morning Glory Zell. This is very much mm-hmm. the 70s, very much the hippies. Yeah. And Morning Glory Zell came up with the term polyamory. Um, wow. So, yeah, so it's very California. It's very, very so hippie, that, very... Hmm? That, that actually might explain why I have, like, such a vit- visceral reaction against some of the language, because that's pretty much the, the background that I come from. My parents were California hippies who decided that they wanted to live in more of a communal surrounding, but really hated all of the drugs and sex. So they joined a religious community in the middle of nowhere, Montana, which according to Wikipedia is not a cult. It's on a cult watch list, but close enough. So I'm always happy to talk (laughs) about cults. There's no cult shaming with me. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's, um, so that's the origin of the word. Like the, like polyamory comes from a, it come, like it's not um it's not a scientific word basically yeah it it and was coined by a person who would later go on to um create unicorns by uh taking goats and moving their horns around fantastic i'm not even joking <laughs> but yeah sounds entertaining the term new relationship energy might be something mm-hmm. that like from what what you're saying, is that something that you don't like either? So that's not quite as as charged for me um, mm-hmm. because it's 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 bland and generic. 
It doesn't. It doesn't have the the hippie tinge to it. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, and also I, new relationship energy is something that I you could see in an academic paper. It also it might be the byline, not the headline, but it mm-hmm. it's still yeah it it is an efficient way of communicating the information. Yeah, yeah. I have heard like I've heard people um, th- th- like uh, talk about using like oh using the word energy in a woo woo sense. And, you know, yeah. energy is supposed to be this very physical thing. But, yeah, I, I, I then like when I when I heard that, I was like, I looked up the origins of the word energy and it's like, mm-hmm. no, energy actually started as woo woo and physics <laughs> took it because yeah. it would have had to. Right. Like energy yeah. is not a like as yeah. a physical concept is a lot younger than the word itself. But yeah. anyway, um, but thankfully, I'm. <laughs> I am not a gatekeeper for the language around polyamory, so I have my personal <laughs> opinions and I'm happy to express them, but also I'm not going to make a hill and, and stand on it <laughs> cool about the way it should be. Fair, fair enough. Good stuff. Um, <laughs> cool. So, all right. So you, um, so you have, you've, you found a new partner, your yep. uh, ex-wife found um, a new partner and a whole bunch of junior yep. partners that's not the right word but whatever i'd just, say that just... yes she had one sort of well we were in still what we, what we could call a primary relationship and then she had several other partners um that were of varying importance they were mm-hmm. depending on on the week they might move up or down in the ranking a little bit um and then <laughs> there, <laughs> there was one person who stuck around for for most of the time mm-hmm Cool. So, and yeah. and, and th- yeah, and then what happened? Um, so let's see. This, we probably kind of, we continued on this trajectory for about a year where she was uh, kind of constantly dating this one person and then occasionally going out with other people whenever she found somebody interesting. Uh, I was spending pretty much all of my time with her or with this other partner. And I think the further into the year it got, the more it swung towards the other partner. So we actually did kind of a, a hierarchical flip or a relationship flip where the primary relationship that I'd been in with my with my partner actually in some ways was becoming the secondary um, relationship. So obviously, or maybe not obviously, as many people would probably understand that created some tension and conflict, which we actually had started to work through. But my ex is also an academic and working in a scientific field means that you have to go wherever the funding is. So we reached the point where she had run out of funding in her current position in Berlin and was looking to move to another city or most likely country to continue her funding. And Mm -hmm. we reached a point where we just had a conversation about um, what do we want the relationship to continue to look like? Do we want to have a long-term relationship? Should I move with her? Um, What about my new partner? And I decided that I wanted to stay in Berlin. My ex um, said that if I'm going to be married, my one condition is that I want to be cohabiting with my married partner. So in that case, we decided it's best for us to split up. Um, It was actually really kind of a, I don't want to call it a cordial affair, but it was definitely not um, really a particularly awful transition. So she continued to live in the house um, with me. My partner had actually moved in about four or five months previously. And then, um, yeah, within about three or four months of that conversation, my ex-wife now had moved out and it was just me and my new partner living there. So yeah, I get. Sorry, I'm really bad at chronological storytelling. I missed. <laughs> I okay. didn't even tell you about the part where my partner moved in. So for a while, I'd say about um, yeah, like three four month period, we were trying um, to make it live where we where we lived in a flat um, with three rooms. So living room, two bedrooms, and a kitchen. Where one room was my new partner, <laughs> one room was my ex wife and my bedroom, and I would basically just switch which room I was sleeping in on different nights. Um, and mm-hmm. I've at while well, during the time that it was happening, I thought it was working really well. But after a lot of conversations with my ex, after we had some time to post process. So basically after we'd broken up a while later, she said that that was a, com- uh, 
an arrangement that she never really fully got comfortable with. So mm -hmm. it was something that, that we talked about that she said she was willing to try. Again, the scientific approach. But in this particular case, the, the experiment did not go as well as anybody had hoped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, full disclosure, this story has been told on the podcast already from a, certain, right, from a different no point of view. It's cool. It, it's something I'm, I'm quite open about, and I'm happy to, to tell it from many different angles. And I'm sure that yeah. everybody has a slightly different take on how it went down and how it happened. My ex would have really interesting insight, I'd, I'd say, um, mm -hmm. from her perspective of how it happened. Maybe I'll have to try and get her on. We'll see. I'd, um, I'll be happy to reach out. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Um, yeah, season two. Um, <laughs> where are things now? Like, like you're now. Yeah. Do you are you big, back to being sort of functionally monogamous or <laughs> or monogamish? Yeah. So that that this is an ongoing uh, conversation with my partner. So from here on out. The person, the new person that I was dating at the same time as my ex-wife, I, I refer to this person now as my partner. So my partner is the person that I'm still, that I'm currently, that I was dating and am still dating. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can call her Charity, but whatever. No, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but your partner. I, okay. To almost everybody I talk to, I still call her partner. I, I really, I don't use her name very often. Unless that's, I, that yeah, seems weird. That seems weird. Yeah. Like, have you met? Have you met my partner? Yeah. And and you don't say the name? <laughs> and then, like, I let them introduce themselves. I, actually, the, the reason behind that is um, a piece of feedback that I got from my ex, even actually about a year or two after we started dating, is that they really felt strongly that too often I was speaking for them or, or telling their stories. So ever since then, I with most of the people that I'm close to, I try to actually say as little about them as I can, and then let them tell their own story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Where are things now? Um, we we kind of mm -hmm. covered in a, in a jumping around fashion where things mm -hmm. were. So the way, way things stand now, I still live with my partner, Charity. Mm -hmm. um, we still live in the same flat that we had. So we have a, a three-room flat, living room, two bedrooms. Um, we have another bedroom that is that we rented out to a polyamorous friend with the discussion that, hey, you're bi, we both like you, we might be interested in dating you, but let's just try living together and see how it works out. And it mm -hmm. turned out that we were much more compatible as roommates than as anything closer than that. So we are also living with another polyamorous individual who we are not mm -hmm. in a relationship with. And mm -hmm. we, um, we all go out on dates, but me and Charity are monogamish i guess um we don't mm -hmm. really have well no i take that back you we have different approaches and different different things that we looked for in our yeah. relationships charity might say so i don't want to tell her story but she might say that she has some longer distance relationships that she maintains um she might say that and she has said that so <laughs> okay yeah so you don't have to uh, you don't have to put words in her mouth she's already put them yeah. there but so my i guess Rather than saying what she, what she is or what she does, my observations. My mm. observations of Charity's relationship style is she's very good at at having relationships that you can pick up and put down, and if, no matter how much time passes, you can pick up like nothing has happened. So yep. she has um, a real talent for developing these long-lasting connections that might not be so frequent in occurrence. Um, she has a partner here in Berlin that she sees every other month or so. She has another partner in Germany that she gets to see a few times a year. Um, she has partners in Canada that she gets to see whenever it works when out. She gets, when she gets to Canada or they get to Europe. Or, yep. Yeah, or somewhere in between. And <laughs> yeah, so for her, she, she tends to keep a collection of people, but nothing particularly regular or steady. Um, mm -hmm. I have tried to date other people and have really close connections, but... They all have failed. Um, it's happened three times for almost the exact same reason. And I'm starting to realize that the problem might be me and the way I'm communicating my needs and wants. So in each, okay. each case where I've started to form a closer connection with somebody, I've told them that I practice non-hierarchical relationship structure and I want to include you in my life. So I want to make space for you. I want to spend a lot of time with you. You're important to me. But... Mm -hmm. 
if anything would happen with my partner, if we'd be going through like a harder period of time or if she got particularly sick or for whatever reason needed extra attention and care and I'd spend more time with her um, mm-hmm. at the expense of these new relationships, they would all say that they felt like I was not prioritizing them or meeting enough of their needs and that I wasn't living up to my promises to have a not an open relationship with room for them. Mm-hmm. So that's ultimately why I, I chose to kind of reframe the way that I talk about my polyamory because I'm still very open to the idea of having lasting long connections with people. It's just they will somehow have to survive a growing period where the amount of time that I have to give to them might wax and wane based on my prior commitments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah I, I think yeah, I think that the the words that I've used um, before. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not the one who who coined this, but there's um, different ways of talking about hierarchy, right? There's um, there's prescriptive hierarchy, and then there's descriptive hierarchy, right? Yeah. Which I think is kind of what you're getting at with the the idea yeah, of a natural exactly. hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, and and prescriptive hierarchy. That's the thing that is. Uh, no longer fashionable in the <laughs> <laughs> yes. No longer fashionable among the polyamory elite or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, in, the cabal in some ways, have. in some ways, yeah. I can see uh, an ethical argument for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where yeah, where uh, you know, it, it's thought that um, you know, even call like calling someone a secondary partner is. Um, I mean, it's not nice. It's toxic yeah. to, in some ways, right? Where, um, where, on the other hand, if you're just being descriptive and saying, well, I have, you know, there's the partner that I have a bank account with, or there's yeah. the partner that, you know, there's the partner where I generally sleep in that person's bed every night, yeah. you know, or whatever it is, or I have a child with that person or whatever, yeah. right? Then it's like, okay, so there is... Uh, a certain amount of hierarchy mm-hmm. that is just sort of built in, right? But isn't necessarily um, one that is being enforced or something like that. It's just, well, this is just the natural way that things have currently progressed. And that, yes. You know, it's not so much that a hierarchy that is being maintained as a hierarchy that exists. Yeah, exactly. And when I was reading about this, um, yeah, prescriptive versus descriptive hierarchy, I came across this term natural hierarchy. And mm-hmm. I, that that description kind of read, resonated with me a little bit, which is, it, I like the idea that it's something that's organic and grown and developed and shaped over time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it basically just describes what you have, but it doesn't necessarily dictate anything. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. One thing that I want to ask you about, because um, because Charity brought it up, and it kind of um, matches well with some things that the other sure. people have talked about in um, other interviews that I've done. Um, I know that you're currently um, trying to get your divorce in order. Is that okay to talk about? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so the main thing that is always interesting is trying to deal with divorce um, when you are not, when you got married in a different country and Mm -hmm. you're not necessarily in the same country as the person you're divorcing. So for now, my, my ex is actually still in Berlin, at least temporarily. So we're trying to figure out if we get divorced, do we have to process it through the German courts, even though we got married in the U S or is it possible Mm -hmm. to somehow get it processed in the U S and the, the confounding factor is both of us have been living outside of the U S long enough that we're no longer recognized as residents of any particular state. And to get divorced mm-hmm. in the U.S., you have to get it recognized in a particular state court because each state has different rules. So we're basically at the point where we need to find a German expert on U.S. law and German law, um, which is possible. <laughs> Just takes a little bit of um, sleuthing to find the right person. I see. Okay. But it yeah, it's it's something that we're both willing to put in the work. Like we're, we're still communicating. We don't have any, any conflict that we're trying to resolve. We're basically just looking for an easier way to resolve the paperwork. Okay. Okay. 
Yeah, because this is something that... Um, so the relationship anarchists in Detroit um, are like have considered um, things like protesting weddings and stuff to highlight the fact that um, that that marriages are um, inherently coercive is the words that they describe uh, the, sure. the words that they use because and and the idea is basically because once you get into one you can't make the decision to get out of one very like you can make that decision I should say you could make that decision but it you, you know you're still contractually obligated to that person yeah. um yeah so and and this is an excellent example of like even when you have two people who are you, you know otherwise amicably separated mm -hmm. from the scene from the looks of it right you you're still now stuck because the state is <laughs> like the the state the states uh plural here are <laughs> like, like have lined things up to make it difficult yep. for you to um to to live your life essentially to yeah. right which is just craziness i, I uh, my personal opinion and my my views on marriage are that people can get married for whatever reasons they want to get married in my particular mm -hmm. case i mostly see it as a tool to you get either some sort of recognition from a state or to make paperwork easier that's why i got married in the first place is to make some of the paperwork of moving internationally with somebody a little bit easier. So actually specifically moving to Germany, Germany does not recognize domestic partnership. So even though my ex-wife and I had been cohabiting together for almost a decade by the time that mm -hmm. we arrived in Germany, if we didn't have a legal marriage, there was no way to prove a connection between the two of us. Mm -hmm. So in that particular case, both for the sake of getting visas and for sorting out health insurance, taxation, Pretty much all of the fun stuff that you have to deal with when you're relocating to a new country. Um, if we hadn't been legally married, we would have had to process that separately as individuals. And I think that's that's one of those things where you know that that's um, a way that um, the system is set up for monogamy, essentially, mm -hmm. right? Right? Yeah. Like there's the it's a essentially a discrimination against. <laughs> against it's certainly discrimination against polyamorous people and, and non-monogamous people in that you can't um, show uh, you know you can't show multiple connections or anything like that and you also can't um, like, like there's privileges that are being provided to um, to people <laughs> yeah. so yeah but I guess we're if you're looking for an opinion or a soundbite on 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 my thoughts on the topic it's mainly that the state is not particularly good at at legislating legislating relationships. It's not very mm -hmm. good at building boxes that can connect, catch enough people. Um, there's always going to be people slipping through the cracks and not finding an appropriate way to define family, even though in every other respect, anybody looking at them from the outside say they have a very family-like relationship. So my solution to this would be to decouple marriage from state recognition of certain be benefits. That seems to be a, a definitely one way of doing it. I, I, yeah, it, it's a it's definitely a bit of a a puzzle because the like this is a, a thing that comes up about like what do we want to like if we've got a, a I don't even know if we have a movement necessarily, but there is <laughs> you know more and more recognition that polyamory or non monogamy exists and how do we want the world to change to make you know to make our lives yeah. better and whether does that mean that like i guess what we don't want because of what we've seen is we don't want more necessarily like a, a thing to like do we want to increase marriage i maybe that isn't the plan there are definitely people well, like definitely on the side of you know we need to uh, you know, just just allow plural marriage, basically, and yeah. and I'm not, I don't know, I I'm not so I'm certain not, that that's the case. So I I'm firmly of the belief that if you just try to keep building different shaped boxes, there's always going to be people falling through the the cracks, and the only way to fix mm -hmm. it is is a fundamental change. Um, mm -hmm. My personal view, 
so my 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 polyamory gets political pretty quickly i'm i I see a lot of the issues that polyamorous people go through as being solved by a more socialist approach especially when it comes to assigning state benefits Mm -hmm. and full disclosure one of the people that i was dating is a self-described communist militant so that some of, <laughs> some of her philosophy might have rubbed off on me but basically yeah, her, yeah. her solution to the to the question of polyamory is global communist revolution i'm not sure <laughs> i would go quite that far but i think some systemic systematic changes um in at a deeper level than just um re- on a deeper level than just recognizing different forms of relationships is necessary to fix the underlying problems that we're trying to solve by changing the definition of marriage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think for sure that that's um, that, that's definitely a, a one philosophy change that might help out. Um, so yeah, yeah, you might have seen that there's definitely some some like influences of the of the relationship anarchists that are very strong inside of me, but also mm-hmm. there's some more pragmatic parts inside of me too. I guess you could say yeah, I'm still yeah. figuring it out, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm used to the idea that to get anything done in life, you have to compromise. So I know that global communist revolution is probably not the most ready solution to the question of what to do to get better recognition for polyamorous people, even though it is a solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, that would work if it could happen. Like that would be a solution. Uh, to this problem, would there be uh, other consequences that might not be uh, as ideal? Um, per- perhaps, <laughs> you know, maybe outside yeah. of the scope of a polyamory interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, this is this is the this is a thing that I've used to describe sort of the difference between um, my non-monogamy polyamory and the relationship anarchists is is like. I just like I think of me as like socialism, and they're like communism, sure. right? <laughs> right, where it's just kind of like, or, or or even I'm socialism and they're anarchy, where it's just like, yeah, yeah we have the same, like, the Label. same complaints, huh? Yeah, yeah, we have this. Well, yeah, well, we, but a lot of the same yeah. complaints and labels, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have the same complaints, and. You know, you want to have a revolution, and I want to just like slow incremental changes where we just where we cement our gains every step mm-hmm. of the way. <laughs> yep, the light is not coming back on. Oh, there it's we go. Okay. okay. <laughs> yep, this is currently my 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 thinking. It's like incremental change, slow. I mean. Part of me, part of me feels like it's. Um, I mean, because c- I'm always just crossing the border. It, it's fun mm-hmm. crossing the border to go visit relationship anarchists when they ask you, "How did you meet this person?" I never say relationship anarchy because they yeah. throw me in jail. I'm sure. <laughs> so um, the on- the only thing that that I'm really worried about with the the incremental approach is just the idea that that tacitly that that gives like some approval to the idea that. There are some people that we're leaving behind in this conversation. And looking back over the history of feminism, especially, for example, over the past mm-hmm. uh, hundred years or so, the mm-hmm. failure of feminism to recognize a black voice in its infancy, and then the failure of feminism to really recognize more of a queer voice, even in more recent times, uh, is something that if I could if I could have a voice that meant anything inside the poly polyamory movement it would be to do what we can to make sure no one gets left behind yeah i i completely agree with that as well like it's it's the sort of thing where it's like can we do slow incremental change in a way that like the i say slow incremental change because i want it to be change that um that lasts is is what i'm saying right um and so, like, I think even in in um, like the LGBTQ movement, like the the T's and Q's still are not necessarily in the same place, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, or for that matter, the B's. Yeah, the B's are not. 
thank you for coming on this polyamorous life. Uh, I have one final question for you. Um, yes, please do. Do you have a song or uh, other media that you've chosen to share that yes. has uh, a connection to non-monogamy? I do. Um, it's a song by the by an artist by the name of Tobias Bernstrup. Um, okay. He, Tobias, T-O-B-I-A-S, Bernstrup, B-E-R-N-S-T-R-U-P. Okay. Um, the name of the song is 27. And I'd actually recommend listening to the laser remix of it because it's a little bit better, a little bit more peppy and upbeat. But okay. um, yeah, that, that's my polyamory anthem. It's basically about a boy from a small town who goes to a big city and wants to have some fun. Okay. And what, what makes it about polyamory or non-monogamy? Um, probably the line where he goes, tonight I want one boy or maybe more. <laughs> nice okay <laughs> yeah and Sounds... i think that it, it really resonates with my inner slut and also the the small boy in the big city i can i can relate sounds good all right well thanks so much david um and uh we'll we'll talk again soon hopefully cool sounds good all right <laughs> bye bye from berlin yeah bye You've been listening to This Polyamorous Life, sponsored by windsorpolyamory.wordpress.com. Please like, rate, review the show wherever you can. It does help. If you're listening on Twitter, uh, let me know. I'm at Life Polyamorous. Uh, to help out the show financially, go to patreon.com slash thispolyamorouslife. Everybody who donates will get some form of shout-out. Just let me know what you want. This show was put together by me with some editing help from Aaron Christmas. A big thanks goes to David for coming on the show this week. I will be back with another conversation for you in seven days. We are preparing for the Windsor Pride Fest Parade. I'm here at the corner of Ottawa and Argyle in Windsor, Ontario. And we are with Windsor Polyamory. And we're going to have an awful lot of fun in this parade. What do you find valuable about Windsor Polyamory? It's a relaxed group of people who are enjoying each other's company and happen to have something in common. The thing that I love about Windsor Polyamory from the start, the first event that I came to, people are warm, welcoming, open, and accepting, and fun. Um, I think the entire Windsor Polyamory community is very dedicated to an authentic expression of self and to growing and learning more about each other in the world, and I think that's really valuable. Find Windsor Polyamory at windsorpolyamory.wordpress.com.